Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Thanks for joining us as we continue in series six. And in this episode, Paul is continuing this incredible journey that I've outlined um, at the beginning of this series. Each series in the Book of Acts um, takes us further on the journey of mission as you will remember if you've been involved with us and followed uh, the series so far. We're now in series six and we've entitled this the The Gospel to Rome for the simple reason that there's a key statement of Paul which I've mentioned at the beginning of every episode and I'll mention it again now in Acts 19 verse 21. Paul decided Uh, from Ephesus to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. His ultimate destination was the capital of the Roman Empire. That's where he wanted to go. But as he says in that statement, he needed to go from Ephesus in modern-day Turkey through Greece to revisit the churches and collect money and then go by ship to Jerusalem to deliver some gifts before going to Rome. That's the overall structure of Paul's ideas of where he wants to go. It's not going to be an easy journey. Paul knew there were going to be problems on the way, unexpected events, uh, hardships, perhaps even imprisonment, and even the risk of his life. Because everywhere he went now in this later stage in Paul's ministry, he already had enemies. People knew about him and they were ready for him wherever he went. Also, he experienced unexpected challenges, as we saw in the last episode. If you were with us in the last episode, you'll remember he was in the city of Troas, which is a port city on the northwest coast of Turkey, the Asia Minor province in in the Roman Empire. And when he was there, in a meeting, late at night, uh, a young man called Eutychus fell off the windowsill down outside several stories to the ground and was killed on the impact. And if you were with us last time, you'll remember that dramatic story. That was an amazing story, wasn't it? And Paul rushed down, prayed for him, and he experienced a literal physical resurrection. So that event has just happened. Troas is a place he's passing through in northwest Turkey, as he's heading south by sea and he's heading several hundred kilometers to the eastern Mediterranean, uh, to the coastal ports of Palestine and heading to Jerusalem. That's his journey. And what we're going to do today in this episode is to follow his journey and see that he had a very important meeting on this journey, very significant meeting. So let's pick up the story in Acts 20 verses 13 to 16. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos we took him aboard and we went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos. And on the following day, 
arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. For he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Paul knew that the quickest way to travel was by sea, and it appears that the boats they were catching were coastal trading boats that went down the Turkish coast, stopping off at each port and each island. Chios and Samos are islands in the Aegean Sea, now used as tourist destinations in the modern world. And Paul was traveling down with his friends along the coast, heading south. And you'll notice that the writer says, we, that means Luke, the writer, was on board. He was there. He was experiencing the events as they were going along. And as I pointed out earlier on, he was a participant and an eyewitness in quite a number of different events in Paul's life. And this is one of them. Where were they heading? They were heading for Jerusalem. And Paul wanted to get there for a major religious festival called Pentecost. And we know about Pentecost because it was at the festival of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit fell on the church, as described in Acts chapter 2, one of the three main festivals of the Jewish uh, religious year. And Paul wanted to be there at that festival time. And that was taking place in May or June. So he was heading there. He was, as it were, watching the time, watching the clock because he didn't want to miss the festival. And they were heading there to Jerusalem for a number of reasons. And one of the main reasons that they were heading to Jerusalem and they didn't want to delay was that Paul and his friends were carrying a very large financial gift. So Luke and all the others in the team, there were several people in the team, had the responsibility of looking after a lot of money. Now this money had been collected by the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, that is in Greece, and given to Paul and his friends as they were traveling through in order to give it to the Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and the surrounding area called Judea because they had heard that they'd experienced some real economic hardship. So you have to imagine the situation as they're traveling on board the ship, that they have literally hundreds, if not thousands, of Roman coins in their possession, in their baggage. And so the team would be mounting a guard 24 hours a day for this uh, money and this gift so that they weren't robbed at any point, which could easily happen. And the collection that uh, is taking place is actually described very interestingly in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, where Paul, writing to the Corinthian churches, one of the churches that contributed to this collection, writes this now. About the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. 
Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So there's Paul talking to one of the churches, preparing them for giving and explaining the purpose of the giving. Now, all that has now happened. The money's been collected and they're literally in transit to Jerusalem, keen to get there quickly. They pass by um, Ephesus to get to Miletus. Miletus is a big port uh, on the Aegean coast of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. But in order to get to that port as they're traveling down, they literally pass by, probably within sight, of the port of Ephesus, which is just a few kilometers north of Miletus. Now, Ephesus was the place that Paul had spent between two and three years and built what was the biggest church of this era with a massive miraculous ministry, which we described in an earlier episode. So why is Paul passing them by? He's literally going straight past the church which he built, the huge church, which would have loved to have seen him there as he was passing by again. He was passing by because he didn't want to spend the time there. He realized that if he went to the church, it would take a long time, lots of people to meet, lots of things to do if he was in the church. But he was interested in the welfare of this church, which had only been founded very recently. He'd invested a huge amount of time and energy into it. So that our next passage tells us something interesting that Paul did, which provides the main theme of our, of our discussion today. And this was that Paul invited the elders of the church to come to him at Miletus. That's a journey of about 50 kilometers 50 kilometers south, to meet with him. He was going to meet with the elders, but he wasn't going to get involved in the whole of the church life with hundreds and hundreds of people in the church, probably thousands of people, and that would take up too much time. But he wanted to meet the elders. Now, why did he want to meet the elders? What was he going to say to them? And why is it important? Let's just read the passage that begins to explain this. Verses 17 to 24 of Acts 20. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. But now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So here come these men from Ephesus. They travel those 50 kilometers and they may be wondering, well, what's Paul going to say to us? And why does he want to meet us? Well, we know that he didn't want to spend the time in the city, but we also know that he wanted to strengthen the church by talking to the leaders. And we also know that Paul had an inner sense, a prophetic sense, that he needed to warn the Ephesian elders of some dangers coming for their church. And we'll hear more about that as the passage continues. But first of all, in this part of the passage, Paul gives an amazing description of his own ministry in Ephesus. And this leads us into a whole discussion of Christian leadership. And this particular episode is a really important passage in helping us to understand what constitutes Christian leadership and ministry. This is a passage to study if you aspire to be a leader or if you are a leader in a church. This is a passage to think about. This is an amazing story because it tells us, first of all, something about the quality of Paul's leadership. And secondly, it tells us something about what Paul said the uh, church leaders needed to do, some qualities and some actions for them in the second part. But first of all, we look at Paul's ministry himself in this passage. We notice that he was a servant leader. He led with humility. He wasn't a dictator. Now, Paul had very strong opinions about truth and error, but he treated people with respect. He honoured their own decision-making and he didn't try and control them. He led with humility. Verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and also, interestingly enough, with tears, emotional openness and honesty. Now, some modern versions of leadership are a little bit artificial in the way they appear because many things are hidden and an image is presented that may not be totally real. Paul, interestingly enough, was very real with his emotions. He could get very excited. He could get very distressed. Tears are mentioned here, and when they pass at the end of this episode, you'll see that there was more weeping and tears at that point. Emotional openness doesn't indicate weakness of leadership. It's an essential part of authentic leadership based on humility. But alongside openness is strength, strength of character. Paul had courage. It says here that uh, when, there were, when there was opposition, he was willing to speak the truth courageously and boldly. He didn't withhold anything from people. And he taught the gospel wholeheartedly. 
So here are a few things we can learn about Christian leadership. The balance between servanthood, openness, confidence in the message, and moral courage to shape the church community with truth and to challenge things that are wrong and to face difficult situations clearly. That's the sort of leader that Paul was. Now, Paul said he was on the way to Jerusalem and he told them in this passage that <clears throat> he was expecting to face hardships along the journey. There'd been a prophetic sense that this was going to be a difficult journey to Jerusalem. There were risks involved for Paul, but he was ready to make this journey. He wasn't popular in Jerusalem with the Jewish leaders for a start, and that was going to be a risk. He knew that from the beginning, but that's another interesting reflection on Christian leadership. You have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to take risks. Paul was a risk taker. And he was on a risky journey. But at this point, he was amongst friends. And so now we turn specifically to what he says to the Ephesian elders about their church and about what they should do next. You see, they were in an interesting position as church leaders because they had huge responsibilities because there were so many people in the church and it had grown so fast, an incredible track record. And yet they had little experience. That often happens, doesn't it, in our countries around the world. The church may grow very quickly, but the leaders may not have much experience. And Paul wanted to bridge that gap between responsibility and experience for this group of elders by giving them very clear advice about how they should lead. And so this next passage is really important and again a great study if you're involved in Christian leadership or if you're supporting Christian leadership and you want to understand what godly Christian leadership is, this is a great passage for you as well. Verses 25 to 35 of Acts 20. Now, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. 
Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Wow, what a profound message. And it starts with a shock. Because Paul says, you're never going to see me again. This is our last meeting. Now that's something that is really challenging in, 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 in life's experience, isn't it? You know that time when you see someone and you think, I'll never see them again. Maybe they're on their deathbed. Maybe they come from another part of the world and they're visiting you and you know that you're unlikely to ever see them again and it's your final parting. Well, Paul predicted this and it's because he felt that his ministry was going to go to Rome and to Italy and to far, far places far away from them and that he was never ever going to be able to get back to Asia Minor and to Ephesus. So he warned them, this is our last meeting. And he called them, first of all, to maintain a good character with these words. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. Keep watch over yourselves, he says in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves. That's really interesting, isn't it? A Christian leader must keep watch over their own conduct, how they conduct their lives, how they conduct their family lives, their finances, their thoughts, their relationships with people. Keep watch over yourselves and be shepherds of the church. The heart of a leader in a church is the heart of a shepherd. Like the shepherd of sheep who will always be thinking about the welfare and the location and the health and the nutrition of his or her sheep. And so this is one of the terms used to describe church leaders, pastors or shepherds. The word pastor means essentially a shepherd. And Peter mentions the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 to 3, a very similar statement is made by Peter. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, in this passage of Peter, we have some of the same themes uh, that Paul speaks about, about not dominating people, not controlling them as leaders. The words are very important. Be shepherds of the flock. So this is the heart of leadership. Leaders are those who can gather people, not just to themselves as a personality or as a leader, but to Jesus Christ and to his truth, to the gospel. They're drawing people to God and they're gathering them 
in community. That's the calling of a leader. Whether it's a small church of 10 or 20 people or a church of many thousands, the same principle applies. But alongside this gathering role, Paul makes a really uh, uh, difficult statement here about infiltration. I know that after I leave, verse 29, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Now we're in the same metaphor here, the sheep and the shepherd. And now Paul introduces another person, the wolf, the hostile person coming in from the outside whose desire is to destroy the sheep, not to nurture the sheep. So what sort of person is this? And why is Paul introducing this idea? He seems to have a prophetic sense that this could happen and would happen in Ephesus and the elders need to protect the church. This reminds us of the words of Jesus who said something very similar in Matthew 7 verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but, every, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So Jesus uses the same image, the wolf, the malicious intruder who wants to exploit the church community. So what kind of exploitation does Paul have in mind here? There's a number of possibilities. People who want your money for themselves. People whose leadership is built out of financial gain. That is corruption. That is not biblical leadership. That's not servant leadership. We should be giving suitable finance to support church leaders where possible. But if their motive is to gain much wealth and personal gain, then there is danger. There's also danger if leaders exploit their authority for sexual purposes in relationships and enter into immoral relationships in church, which are always very corrupting and very destructive, especially if conducted by leaders. They may be people who just enjoy the power of leading a community and people being dependent on them. They may be people with false doctrine who don't believe the gospel but they want to enter into church to bring in a heresy or a false teaching. These people come in many guises and Jesus describes them as false prophets and Paul says you must resist them and they must be vigilant spiritually and adopt the attitude of giving rather than receiving. Well, this was really quite a challenging um, message to give to these Ephesian elders. I think if I was one of them, I'd be very shocked by this because Paul has summoned us to a special meeting and the first thing he says is, you're not going to see me again. This is our last ever meeting. I'm never coming back to Ephesus. I don't think God will allow me to come back. I've got to go somewhere else. And then he gives them a tough message concerning dangers 
up ahead. However, let's read the last couple of verses and we see what happens at the end, verses 36 to 38. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Well, what a moving scene. I imagine it being perhaps on the beach near the port where they kneel down, cry out to God and pray blessing and weep the tears of friends who are going to be separated. Separated from their spiritual father, separated from a man they truly love. And so Paul, Paul's journey moves on, but we pause at this point to think in our time of reflection at the end of this episode, what can we actually learn from this passage? Well, there are a number of things that quickly come to mind. First of all, the importance of the place of emotions in the Christian life, the validation of emotions. We see a very clear example here of the emotions relating to distress and separation and grieving. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see uh, everything from great joyfulness to great anger to tears of grief in Jesus's life. And we know that our Christian life needs to reflect a validation and acceptance of the reality of different emotions we feel at different points because God understands those emotions. The second thing that I think we learn from this passage concerns New Testament leadership. And this theme comes up time and again in the book of Acts and we get little glimpses of further truth and understanding. And here we just see a great example of a church leadership structure which is based on a team. Notice that the elders are in the plural. There isn't just one leader that Paul speaks to. He speaks to a group of men. And Paul always appointed groups of leaders of whom there would always be one senior, no doubt, who coordinated things. But several people who shared the spiritual responsibility for the church. And in this passage, Three names and titles are given for these leaders of local churches. We're talking here about the local church. One is elder, meaning some, a community leader. The other is shepherd, meaning someone who gives pastoral care. And the other is overseer, which means a guardian. And in these terms, we see, we capture just a glimpse of local church leaders as God intended them to be. But I finish this episode by a reflection on the quotation from Jesus in verse 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This statement of Jesus is not quoted in the Gospels. We have in Matthew chapter 5 the famous Beatitudes or beautiful attitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We have some similar uh, statements in Luke chapter 6, but this statement isn't among them. 
and it's addressed particularly to those with leadership responsibility, but to all of us as Christian disciples. If we want to experience the blessing of God, his favor in our lives, especially as we think about the church community, we should be thinking more of giving than receiving. And particularly for leaders, the more they give, the more they will be blessed. They're not in that role for what they can gain, but for what they can give. And God blesses leaders who take that attitude. I'm so grateful for you listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And it'd be tremendous if you can join us as we continue on the journey to Jerusalem in our next episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.